0: You've heard the reading of the scripture, but I invite you to pay attention to verses 41 and 42 especially, where the scripture reads, He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Consider this as a thought. Nevertheless, I'll take the fifth cup. Pray with me. Father, we ask in the strong name of Jesus that you would anoint me afresh, that these your servant sons, and daughters might hear from heaven, remove me from this space that they might see you and hear what it is that you would say to them in this hour. Amen. Nevertheless, I'll take the fifth cup. Blog writer Callie Logan asked a poignant question in one of her blog posts that I've really been pondering for a while now. She asked, have you ever considered if you were given the foreknowledge of your life and how you may spend your final hours? Jesus, as the Son of God, knew his mission, and he knew down to the millisecond the exact timing for the events that must unfold in his life. In the hours before Jesus was taken to be crucified and ultimately die for our sins, Jesus chose to pray. Now, if I'm transparent, I'm not really sure that praying is what would be on my mind if I knew my life was about to end. I mean, I'm going to be with the Lord, so I'll talk to him in person shortly. This vocalized prayer time within the Garden of Gethsemane can teach us much about prayer and the heart of our Savior. In Jeremiah 31, God said, The days are coming when the Lord, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant in the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Jesus anticipated that the old covenant would pass away and something new would come, but something different was needed. We've been used to animals up until this point being the blood sacrifice, but we needed something more. Skip the a teacher of the Old Testament scripture, says that yes, God could be accessed through the shedding of blood of animals, but it was never quite enough because sin was just covered temporarily. As we enter into this Holy Week, the period leading up to Easter, I invite you to take a look at some of the happenings before the crucifixion of Christ especially the Passover. The Jews already saw this night as a special night, but this time the lamb from the Old Testament that was anticipated would be a lamb that would once and for all take away the sins of the world wasn't quite what they were used to. This time it became Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that Jesus and his disciples gathered together for Passover, a supper, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it all for you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many remissions of sins, in the Passover supper, also known as Seder, a Jewish ritual service or ceremonial dinner for the first, in, or t- first two nights of Passover was performed. There's an order in the, the service of this meal. It basically revolves around four glasses of wine that are raised for commemoration purposes, all speaking of Jewish history. Mary Lou, I promise you that when I was researching for this message, this was the first time I ever heard about four cups of wine. Jesus is my kind of friend. (laughs) The first cup is a cup of blessing. The host welcomes you into his home and offers his guests the blessing of the Hebrew blessing, saying, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us the fruit of the vine. Then the cup is taken among all of them. And then there's a second cup, the second cup of judgment. The host tells the history of the exodus and the judgment of God upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Then the host breaks bread and dips it in bitter herbs, speaking of the bitter bondage of the past and a paste that speaks of the mortar made by the slaves. Now, you all know I wanted to stop and write a sermon about just that, but I had to go on because we're trying to get to the cross. Then the second cup is taken by all. After the meal is eaten, Pam, the cup of redemption is raised. And it was the third cup that Jesus raised and said, this is the cup of my blood, a new covenant that I'm taking. At the very end of the meal, the fourth cup, the cup of praise is raised and a hymn is sung. Jewish people have done this throughout history. At every Passover meal around the world for thousands of years, But now Jesus was transforming an ancient meal to have a different meaning. No longer did the Passover speak of the temporary physical bondage of Egypt being broken, but the permanent spiritual deliverance from sin through Jesus Christ's blood and broken body. I believe this is where we experience the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So here in tonight's text, we find Jesus knowing and fully understanding his assignment. At Richmond Hill, I promise you that my study for this sermon was the first time I'd ever heard about all of these movements on this particular night. I found that the Last Supper was just a ritual up until this point. I also found that it was a vulnerable moment just after the Last Supper when Jesus told his closest friends on earth that he, what would soon happen to him. He, would t- he talked about the painful betrayal he would endure from one of the people in his circle and about his coming arrest, his torture, and crucifixion. Jesus withdraws with his inner circle the three disciples closest to him and takes refuge in a special place. They are alone on his knees in the dark of the night, beneath olive trees, in the garden of Gethsemane, he cries out to God asking if this fifth cup, the final cup for the night, the cup of suffering would please pass from him. In other words, he doesn't want to have to drink from this cup. In the King James Version of the Bible, it says, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but thine be done. Mark's gospel account states that he said, talking to God, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you will. This was no casual prayer, Anthony. Jesus was distraught. Matthew's gospel tells us he fell with his face to the ground and prayed with all his might. I'm sure some of you all listening to me this evening Have experienced, like me, the moment when you realize you're having a nevertheless moment with the Lord. A moment of transparency. I confess tonight that these nevertheless moments, Pam, are never easy. I don't sign up for them. I don't very happily welcome them. I pray the cup would pass, and I have yet to get the luxury of saying, I'm just not doing it. My nevertheless moments may not look like yours, but we all have them if we're doing the work of Christ. Often when we, lose, when we see these nevertheless moments and they come upon us, the people you expect to be on your team is somewhere sleeping while you're wrestling with God for, about what he's calling you to do. Not to mention, Lindsay, the folks who have it out for you are the people in the church. Now, I could just park right there and tell y'all some stories, but that's another sermon for another day. But don't miss it. The chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were the people who had it out for Jesus because he understood his assignment and didn't let anything or anybody distract him. Saints, please take notice and pay attention to the fact that everybody is not excited about you walking in your gifts. Everybody's not excited about you speaking the truth when it may disrupt the systems in place that are keeping people in bondage. Everybody doesn't want the full story, hint, hint, CRT. Because if everybody knows the full truth, some folks fear the loss of their perceived power and control. But don't worry. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah prophesied in chapter 14 that a day of the Lord would be coming when the Lord would stand upon the Mount of Olives, ready for battle, and be king over the whole earth. And here we are watching it all go down just like it was prophesied. The garden was a place of profound significance, where not only a momentous happening in the life and the death of Jesus Christ occurs, but also where we can learn critical lessons about what it means to be a follower of Christ. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place of great importance to Jesus. It's referred to in all four Gospels as a place where Christ retreated deep in deep prayer in a time of agony before his arrest and crucifixion, and near where he ascended to heaven in the book of Acts. At some point in all of our lives, Jim, we will have a nevertheless garden moment. I want to encourage each one of you to pray for guidance on how to deal with the cup that has been passed to you. According to Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible, Gethsemane is translated from Greek to mean an oil press. Catch me in the spirit and recognize that when you get that fifth cup assignment, know that you're going to go through a pressing. Take solace in knowing that you will be raised from those nevertheless requirements because Jesus has modeled the right way to behave in times of distress and anguish and he illuminates what we are to do today as followers of his. So what do you do when you have these nevertheless moments? One word, you pray. And so Lisa, why do we pray? We pray because prayer is a conversation with the Lord. Prayer is a connection, conversation, and communion with our God. Through our prayer, our relationship with God is fostered and grown. We're not merely praying to the wind. We are speaking with the creator of the universe. Prayer invites us to an exchange between us and God, God and us. Sometimes we use words and sometimes there are no words to even be said. This is why Paul encourages us in 1 Thessalonians to pray without ceasing in order that we may build that relationship with the Lord in order to know him, trust him, and connect with him all the more. That is what God desires for us as well, that we may call upon him as our heavenly father or our heavenly mother, looking for tender, emotional, and deep reverence and love. Likewise, God also desires this intimate relationship with us as his children. So secondly, we pray because prayer can produce beauty from pain. Every detail of the word of God holds great intention and purpose, even down to location. In the hours before he was taken to Pilate, Jesus chose to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where is your place when you need to get a prayer through? What is produced through prayer is something pure. In the garden, Jesus was pressed in prayer. It says in Luke twenty-two forty-three how he sweat as if drops of blood was pouring from his face. Gethsemane proved to live up to its name of pressure upon him. Yet from the garden, he emerged ready to complete the task he came to earth to perform. And finally, we pray because prayer reminds us that God will God's will is always better for us might not feel like it might not look like it because sometimes we have to go to the cross also it might not be the cross of Calvary but we've been in some tough spots the refrain of our prayers in Gethsemane and Christ's prayer is father if you're willing take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done Jesus repeated this in some of the gospel accounts over three times. What we can draw from these honest words from our Savior is that it's not sinful for us to be in despair and not to desire the hard path. However, we must remain obedient. One theologian suggests we also recognize that obedience to God is seldom the easy path as we gaze upon the mountain to be climbed but in time, it will prove to be the right way. As I close and take my seat, I leave you with these lyrics to Cece Wine and Song, The Alabaster Box. She says, you don't know the cost of my oil. Cece had been through a pressing. We don't know what kind of pressing you had to go through to get the oil that we see pouring from you now. We don't ever really know what you had to go through when you had to drink from that fifth cup. Please don't covet somebody else's blessings when you don't know the price they had to pay to obtain it. Pray the Lord's Prayer if you don't know what to pray. And pay close attention to that sixth verse in Matthew where it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what the journey is all about. The prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane may have taught me, has taught me a lot about prayer in my own walk. Because every once in a while an angel shows up to help me, give me strength. It reminds me that I don't walk through dark times alone and that God is with me in those tearful moments. The pressing and the strain will provide worthwhile through through God's will and in God's timing. The prayer to let that fifth cup may not be answered in the affirmative. But if it, it doesn't diminish God's plan for your life, nor God's protection in your life. Because as lead believers, we will rise up and live in the beauty of God's glory and his honor. Nevertheless, I'll take the fifth cup. Amen.